Welcome to episode 56 of the Gamboss Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On this week's episode, Christian and I both watched the somewhat recently released Ford vs. Ferrari. Christian saw the newly released Jumanji 2, and both Christian and I watched the Netflix original The Night Before Christmas for the last Christmas movie of our uh, our December watchings. <laughs> But first, Christian, we both saw Ford vs. Ferrari. Now, this is directed by James Mangold, who I really like what he did with Logan. Like, that was my favorite movie of 2017 by far. Mm. And it stars Christian Bale and Matt Damon. Did you like this one? Yeah, you know, I did. I I wasn't really sure what to expect going in. I'm, I'm not exactly a big car guy outside of, you know, Fast and Furious. Um but it was interesting. I'm, I do typically love like a, a biopic, so it was it held my attention. Yes, this I ended up liking this one more than I thought I would. I saw it solely on the strength of its trailer. And so this movie follows the story of Carol Shelby, played by Matt Damon, and Ken Miles, who's played by Christian Bale, as they work with the Ford Motor, Motor Company to build the Ford GT40 to beat Ferrari and win a race called the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Uh, This happens in the 1960s, so it's really, uh, like you said, a retro biopic, focusing mostly actually on Ken Miles with Carol Shelby being, he's in a starring role, but he's more of a a co-star than I think the the lead actor in this. Mm -hmm. So what did you think of Matt Damon in this? I liked him. It was... uh... I mean, I'm I'm used to seeing Matt Damon, I guess, as like born, uh, so it was interesting to see him in in a like a chiller role. But he he did a really good job, I think. Yeah, I I did really like Damon in this. I actually forgot how much I enjoy him as an actor because I don't I could not tell you the last thing I saw him in. Maybe like a rewatch of Dogma or something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen him in roles similar to this where it's it's not action or anything, but I guess Bourne is just what I know him best from. Right. I mean, those are, I mean, great movies as well. They completely redefined the spy genre and were <laughs> mimicked so heavily. But so in this one, he's just playing a... He, so he used to be a racer. He was one of the only Americans to ever win the 24 Hours of Le Mans, and so Ford approached Carroll Shelby to help them put together a racing team. So he knows what he's talking about with cars and whatnot. Uh, And he reaches out to Ken Miles, who was his friend and fellow racer. And Ken Miles is actually British. And I'm not going to lie, I was thrown off a little bit by Christian Bale doing the British accent at first. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't really expecting it. I guess I hadn't been paying that close attention in the trailer. Same. But after I got over that, I got to say, I think Bale stole the show on this one. Every scene he was in, I just, like, I thought he was the best actor in every scene. He played the crazed, like, racer who's also just very passionate and very knowledgeable about what he's doing when he's driving the cars, trying to figure out what's wrong with them, how to make them faster. He played that role perfectly. I, I thought he was great. Oh, yeah, agreed. He was he was really, really interesting. I was, I was thrown at first, um, not necessarily by just the accent but by the temperament because uh i was expecting this to just kind of be like two down-to-earth race car drivers doing like doing their thing honestly 
I guess I really hadn't paid that close attention to the preview because I thought it was going to be Christian Bale and Matt Damon as like rival racers. <laughs> um, but yeah, like he's he's kind of like the uh, Christian Bale is kind of the the hothead. He's always getting himself into trouble. Like he can't get out of his own way, and uh, that ends up becoming like kind of one of the central conflicts of the the movie. Yeah, I actually. When I watched the trailer, I got a mix up. I thought Matt Damon was going to be the racer and uh, Christian Bale was going to be like essentially Matt Damon's position of more of a support staff, but I was completely opposite. So I was thrown off by that because all the trailers I saw had shown the one scene of uh, Matt Damon driving with Ford Jr. in the car. So I was like, oh, Matt Damon's the racer in this one. I was, I was way off. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it, the the opening scene is Matt Damon as the racer, and then it flashes forward, I don't know, like six six months or a year or something. Yeah. Uh, speaking of acting performances, though, uh, do you remember the number two of the Ford, the Ford Motor Company who was like the Weasley guy? Yes. I, I think he did a great job because I hated that guy oh so God, much. <laughs> he wouldn't even speak. He would just be in the background looking like you wanted to punch him so i mean kudos to that guy in acting because i hated him in every scene yeah i think that was billy magnuson who uh i know best as being the prince who isn't chris pine in into the woods and he was also just in game night as like the idiot best friend i think you're right christian i did not rec well i only know him from game night but i think you're right i think that's the same guy <laughs> yeah but you're right he like he sucked <laughs> yeah horrible right, right down to the very end no redeem no redemption for him nope. at all <laughs> uh so one of my favorite parts of this movie and i guess history if this is to be taken at face value is that Henry Ford and the Ford Motor Company decided to enter into sports car racing entirely because Enzo Ferrari insulted them and told him he would never be like his dad because before <laughs> that, they had no real interest of creating sports cars and just wanted to make old people cars. Yep. Entirely spite-driven. But I do like this that the movie focused on that and then showed like even though Enzo Ferrari was posited as the bad guy when you were at when you were watching the 24 hours of Le Mans Enzo Ferrari was there the whole time Henry Ford left after like you know three hours and came back at the end for the winning like he really wasn't actually into this and I think that shows a little bit about his character where it was entirely you know spite driven or for he wanted to be around he wanted the glory but he didn't actually care about the thing itself which I think says a little bit about people stepping into fields and then winning them just with money instead of actually with passion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely understand being motivated by spite, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. It, it does speak to, to that, that he was able to just leave and go to dinner. And even, uh, Ferrari was sitting there watching him. Like, can you believe this guy's just, just peacing out? Right. Uh, side note, because I've never heard of the 24 Hours of Le Mans, the start of that race is insane. They have the racers stand on the far side of the track and then run to their cars, get in, and take off. So it's a bunch of cars going from 0 to 100 in under 10 seconds, you know, and it's just them crashing and all this mayhem. It's insane. I cannot believe a race like that exists. Yeah, I have a lot to say about the 24 Hours in Le Mans. I mean, just the structure of it, the fact that it is 
24 straight hours of driving. And I mean, they do like switch the, there's what a team of, I think four uh, drivers that they switch in and out of, but still like the fact that there is a race that on the, the is going perpetually for 24 hours is crazy to me. But yeah, the fact that it begins with a tiny foot race is just hysterical. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, it's in the long run, that's definitely not going to change anything. But, like, what if someone trips? Are they just getting crushed by a car? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah that is bananas to me. Because they even said, like, all right, you're going to you're gonna start over here and you're going to have to run to your car. And I did one of those where I, like, like did a, a double take at the screen and I was like, wait, did they say he has to run to his car? That doesn't. I, I must have misheard that. And then they start the race and they're like, all right, everybody run to your car. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> right. And so, I mean, and this shows, I am completely ignorant with cars and racing and all that stuff. And this movie is, I was like, I should get into this. It seems awesome. But also, could you imagine sitting around and watching a race for 24 hours? Like it was so enthralling because they condensed it to all the good parts in yeah. 45 minutes. Oh yeah. That would be unbearable. Because, I mean, it even shows his family sitting at the radio and listening, and it's taken place in France, so there's, like, a, I think a six- or seven-hour time difference, I think six. And so the the middle-of-the-night parts are going to be, like, the early evening over here, so it's even the points that you'll be listening to will probably be the most boring parts of the race when it's the middle of the night, everyone's being a little more careful. Right. I just also can't imagine driving like 200 miles an hour in the rain. Oh man, especially like needing some of those turns they went into were crazy. Like you have to be, and I, I've never actually appreciated this until I guess this movie going into some of those turns at 200 miles an hour and then like downshifting and accelerating out. Like that's crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, I'm not necessarily the slowest driver. <laughs> Um, but I, I mean, I get, I get anxiety in the rain sometimes. Like I'm, I'm going around corners at like 35, 40 and these guys are taking these corners at like 180 and I, I can't even imagine. Right. Uh, so we're, it seems like we're pretty high on the movie, but I at least have one complaint about this and it's run is that it's runtime is one hour and 52 minutes. Which was really long. I think this movie could have stood them trimming it down a little bit. I can't believe this movie was under two hours. Like, I, I genuinely thought it was like two and a half hours. No, 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 no. One hour, 52 minutes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 152 minutes. It was two and a half hours. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it was It was really long. Like, I... That was also one of my chief complaints. Was it, it did have a little more than it needed. Right, so... At the because I looked at my watch at the hour and forty minute mark, they have the Daytona five hundred race that they need to get to, to allow Ken Miles to race in the twenty four hours of Le Mans, and that felt like the end of the movie. Yep. Like the beats, he was happy, everyone's happy, all that stuff. I was like, oh, okay, this movie's over, and it's like, oh no, there's still <laughs> fifty minutes left, and I was just like, oh man, I think that is the one area where they could have trimmed it down because. I understand it's important that he needed to win that to get where he was going, but I don't know if it necessarily needed to be in the movie in that way. Like that's something I think they could have either glossed over or dealt with to, to shorten this a little bit. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, I guess the only other comment that I have, which is kind of neither here nor there is I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure who played Henry Ford jr, but I kept thinking 
it was Christian Bale in his Dick Cheney costume from Vice. <laughs> Every single time he was on screen, I was like, oh, Christian Bale in his Dick Cheney costume. And then I had to be like, no, Christian Bale is someone else in this movie. That would have been hilarious if he was playing two parts. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely loved the uh, Take Henry Ford Jr. for a Drive sequence. That was very fun. That was hilarious because him just sobbing at the end <laughs> and like Matt Damon feel like looking like, Oh man, I don't know what I just did. <laughs> yeah. It, it was solid. I would recommend it. It's just, it is a little long. Yeah. Uh, so do you know how this did at the box office? In the box office, it made 184.6 million. The budget was about 97 and a half. So, I mean, it's, it's doubled its money very nearly. Uh, so yeah, it, it did pretty well. Yeah, and and critically on Rotten Tomatoes, the critics have it at a ninety two percent, and the audience has it at a ninety eight percent. So it's it's sitting high with the audiences in general. Yeah, and I mean this is its budget to date, which it's it's been out for about four or five weeks now, I think. Yeah. Uh, so would you recommend our audience check this one out? Yeah, I, I would. Like I said, it's it is a little long, but uh, I think it's probably worth it in the long run. I agree. I really enjoyed this. Like I said, my biggest complaint is that it's really long, but if you have two and a half hours to kill, uh, I really liked learning the history about Ken Miles, especially because I'd never heard of him before, so I I thought it was really interesting. This week, Christian, you watched the recently released Jumanji 2 I know you were a fan of the first one. Does this one hold up? Yeah, it does. I was really excited for this because I am a huge fan of the first one. I've seen it two or three times, and uh, it does hold up. It's pretty solid as a follow-up to the first one. I don't think it's quite as good as the first one is, but that was going to be a a hard bar to hit no matter what, so I, I think it did about as well as could be expected. So the first movie centered on them around the general Jumanji plot of them having to get out of the game what is the general plot of two? Um, the plot of the second one begins with the the kid who gets turned into the rock is basically having like a crisis of identity. He wants to feel like he did when he was in the game, and so he goes back and finds it and puts it back together after they destroyed it, and he gets himself sucked back in. Then the other kids find out, and they ha- they go in after him to try and get him back out again. So do all the kids actually go back as the characters they were before, or do they get switched up? Some of them uh, are correct. Some of them get switched. There's uh, some body swapping mechanics that they do, so some of them get a chance to play multiple versions, which is fun. Um, Karen Gillan plays the same girl that she played in the first one. Jack Black plays Fridge, which was fun. Which was fun. Uh, Jack Black, for me, I think was the... Uh, breakout star of the original like him playing bethany that 16 year old girl was just absolutely hysterical to me uh but he does a good job as fridge as well then the the two new additions are the rock is playing danny devito who was the one character's great uh who's the one character's grandfather and kevin hart is playing uh danny glover who is danny devito's friend and so, so I, I, I'm not following, because I know a new Danny DeVito and Danny Glover were in this. 
what um what do you mean by the rock is playing him the rock is just acting like danny devito yeah essentially so it's it's the same way that jack black was playing like a a 16 year old girl in the first one the rock is now playing like old man danny devito who is like hard of hearing and he's excited to be in a body that works again (laughs) because in in the movie he had just had like hip surgery or back surgery so he was kind of like wandering around the house with a cane or a walker and he was spending a lot of time in bed and that now he's the rock so how do the actors uh do it portraying these new new characters they, or new players i guess they do pretty well uh, i mean a lot of it is stereotypical i mean the rock essentially just plays like an old jewish man and, and it i mean it works pretty well uh, kevin hart playing danny devito or uh, kevin hart playing danny glover is probably my favorite in this one the way that jack black was my favorite in the first one he just kind of drops his register and, and puts on a little deeper, slower voice, and I, I think he really nails it. Uh, was there any new actors added to this? Because I know the first one, I don't know if I would say it was star-studded, but it was really carried by the four leads. Did they add any other big names? So Nick Jonas is back uh, briefly. It's, he's in it about as much as he was in the first one. They, they encounter him about halfway through. Uh, Aquafina is added as a fifth playable character. And, you know, she's really growing on me as an actress. I really liked her in Crazy Rich Asians, and I really liked her in Ocean's 8. In this one, she plays like a rogue character. She's the quick, sneaky thief. So anybody who knows their video games or their D&D classes, like she's, she's the one sneaking around, unlocking the doors and stealing from people. And the... And the bad guy is Rory McCann, who uh, anybody would probably know as being the Hound from Game of Thrones. Cool. Um, one thing that I really liked about the first one was how they handled like the non-player characters, the NPCs, where it was one of those questions like, oh, how do the, these characters actually interact with like I don't know, the computer-generated characters? Is there any good moments in this one? Yeah, there's like that. there's some fun video game trips. Some of them are reused from the first one, like uh, the the guy who introduces everybody to the video game only has so many things that he can say, and so he ends up just repeating himself over and over again. Uh, a lot of the like video game humor comes from the fact that Danny Glover and Danny DeVito don't know what video games are, and so they're like The Rock and Kevin Hart are having a lot of time are spending a lot of time processing just what's happening. <laughs> they keep asking, like, are we in Florida? Like, what's going on? Like, why do we have... Why, when we touch our chest, do these menus pop up in midair? Uh, a lot of the characters have new strengths and weaknesses. So Jack Black is now weak against sun, sand, and heat in the desert level. Uh-huh. Uh, other than that, they do run into some, like, magic items. Like, there's a... Uh, like a berry that they have to find and we were we were sitting there going like oh i bet it's gonna be an extra life like somebody's gonna die and there'll be an extra life and i won't reveal what it actually ends up being but it was kind of like a a fun oh we have to go on this mini side quest to get this berry because it'll be important later that's great yeah you had mentioned a desert so the last one primarily took place in a jungle do they jump around to different like inhospitable terrain yeah the jungle's hardly in this one they land there like they do in the first one then they immediately get on a plane with the the npc and he takes them to the desert then they they go into like a mountainous region uh and then 
they end up on top of like a mountain glacier in this fortress that the bad guy occupies. Uh, do you think they're setting up a Jumanji cinematic universe? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I They definitely pitch it to a sequel. It's not a hard pitch the way that some of these movies are, but they definitely close it in a way that is like, oh yeah, there could be a third one. And it would be different than the first two were, which would be exciting. I, I would definitely watch a third one, I'm not going to lie. I oh I mean let's just look at the box office now because I think it could easily get another sequel. It's been out for three or four days at this yeah. point. Its budget was 125 million, and they've already made 211.7 million globally. So they are well on their way to doubling their budget, if not more. So I I could definitely see this one just based on box office alone getting a sequel. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised at our theater. It didn't do super well uh, when the first one came out. We were unprepared. Like, I, I don't know if the world at large was unprepared for it, but the first week it came out, it sold out something like eight of the 12 shows that we had it. And so we, we were caught real by surprise. And so we were very overstaffed this weekend, ready for it. And it didn't necessarily perform the way I had expected it to. Uh, we'll, we'll see next week and if it can hold up against Star Wars. But uh, at our theater, at least, it may have just been chalked up to weather. We had kind of crappy weather all weekend. I was surprised by the first one. I saw it way late in its run just because I'm not a Kevin Hart fan, so I was like, <laughs> I'm not seeing this. But I heard so many good things about it, I, I eventually caved and, and loved it. So I will actually probably be checking this one out over to Star Wars this weekend because Star Wars is going to be sold out everywhere. Oh, yeah. So, sorry, before we... um. Before we finish up, is there anything I miss that you would like to talk about? I don't think. There is some like spoilery stuff that I don't want to really get into. Okay. So, do you know how this fared with the critics, Christian? Yeah, it did pretty well. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes critics have it at a 68, audience at an 87. I'd probably go somewhere in between those two. Like I said, it, it, it wasn't quite as good as the original, I think. Uh, or maybe maybe not the original, original, but the, the first one. I think a lot of the appeal of the original was just that it was so surprising. And in this one, they kind of just rehash a lot of the, the fun stuff. But it was still very good. I, I really I really would recommend it. I'm going to throw out a controversial opinion. I like the Jumanji reboot better than I like the Robin Williams original Jumanji. <laughs> you know, right now I'm probably with you, but I haven't seen the Robin Williams one in probably over a decade. I keep meaning to go back and revisit it and see... Uh, how it, how I would compare them both in recent memory. I always hated that one when I was a kid. <laughs> oh man! Well, there is. I will say, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because they keep talking about Anora uh, the whole way through this one. Danny DeVito and Danny Glover keep talking about a woman named Nora, and then at the end, you find out that it's the uh, Nora from the original. Like that was, oh, wow, that was really? the little or that was the uh, the little girl who grew up to be like the Robin Williams love interest, and yeah, now she's she has a, a very very brief cameo in this one. Oh, that's crazy! It's cool they called back to it. Yeah, though. it was neat. Um, would you recommend our audience check this out? Yeah, absolutely. It was a very fun movie. <laughs> This
this week, Christian and I both watched the Netflix original, The Night Before Christmas, night spelled K-N-I-G-H-T. This was directed by Monica Mitchell, who I could not find anything else about, so I don't know if she directed anything before this. And it starred Vanessa Hudgens, uh, Josh Whitehouse, and Emmanuel Triqui. Uh, but mostly it's Hudgens and Whitehouse. Yeah, I'm real happy we, we got through the first two quickly because I have a lot to say about this movie. <laughs> yeah, this uh, I, I picked this one and I regretted it. <laughs> oh, man. So I, I will let you tee this one off, Christian. So this is about a knight who gets sent 700 years into the future to today uh, for reasons that are never explained. He also is sent from England to Ohio, not just forward in time, but across the globe as well. Uh, and he is sent on a quest that turns out to just be to kiss Vanessa Hudgens. Yeah, that is that is literally the plot. And I am most offended by this movie <laughs> from the fact that it starts in Norwich, England. And every time they go back to... To Norwich, England in 1317. They say Norwich, England, 1317. They show the same forest scan over like we forgot where this is. The knights aren't the ones in Ohio. And he's transferred to the middle of nowhere, Ohio. Like, why is that the place that he would be transferred to? <laughs> Who knows? Why not set this in 2019? Norwich, England. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I have in my notes Magic Quest to Ohio. I'd be mad. Like, imagine imagine right. discovering that magic is real, but all it can do is take you to Ohio. It, it, like, I can understand. Like, oh, it's a time travel thing. It's like a time travel thing to the middle of nowhere in a in Ohio. They were like, we need one of the sexy Midwest states. <laughs> can't do can't do Iowa. Can't do Kansas. You know what? Ohio. That's the one. Uh, there's oh boy I mean there's a couple things that really make me question this movie did you number one did you know Vanessa Hudgens was a producer on I did this not. listen I went into this completely blind I hit play and it, it like Vanessa Hudgens popped up and I was like what yeah so the first scene we see Vanessa Hudgens and she's she's a school teacher she's yelling at her one student for not performing enough and the student who's like 13 is like this boy broke up with me. And then Vanessa Hudgens is like, you can't let a boy get to you, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, gives her this life lessons. And I was like, what middle schooler would accept this and then be like, hey, Miss Hudgens, give me a hug. Because that's what happens. Yeah. Vanessa Hudgens really stood there and said, don't ruin your life over some man. But then later in the movie, she's like, you'll find him. And I'm like, <laughs> she's sending real like to the same girl because she's crying because uh, the night had just disappeared. And she's like, you know what? I was wrong. You do find true love. And I'm sitting there thinking, you're sending mixed messages to this impressionable middle school girl. Should she go back with the boy who cheated on her? Like, I don't I don't think she should. I, don't tell I her that. I definitely did love that scene because she's like, guess what? He told me he wants to get back with me, and I told him no, and I'm focusing on my own goals. And Vanessa just is like, I was wrong. And I'm like, are you telling her to get back with that boy and not focus on her own goals? And then immediately the Vanessa just was like, well, I mean, not about the goals. That's good. <laughs> right like i could see this as a comedy scene in a movie where someone's like where they come back and vanessa hudgens grabs her she's like 
I was wrong. Go back to him immediately. Where that's clearly the wrong advice, but it's not played for a comedic beat. Like she's being serious. So he lands when when he's sent forward in time. He lands in this like Christmas village that they have set up, and he keeps bothering this old woman dressed up as Mrs. Claus because I guess she looks like the the old woman, or maybe it was the old woman for a second. But he keeps well. It, it's really unclear because they show a scene where it's like the old woman like smirking at him, and then like she changes into Mrs. Claus. But it doesn't seem like the Mrs. Claus is the witch. But he keeps walking up to this poor woman, and he keeps calling her an old crone. And then eventually, Santa Claus is like, "Can you please stop calling my wife an old crone?" Right. Oh my gosh. What my biggest problem with this movie starts. Well, I mean, there's many, but. <laughs> I th- honestly think the reason why I don't like this movie is because it's boring and it, really it stems is. from when he meets the witch she's like you have to fulfill your quest or you'll never be a true knight like Im- implying that like you could still become a knight you just won't be a true one so the entire stakes on this are that he might not be a true knight he's, in quotes he's already a knight he li- like right. literally you find out like 20 minutes into the movie he's like oh you call me sir cole i'm a knight and i'm like what is this about <laughs> makes no like there is literally no stakes if he fails this quest he goes back and he's fine there is nothing on the line 100 yes, percent doesn't make any sense they take him to a diner where they fully rip off the scene from Thor where he's like a fish out of water. Like he takes a drink of hot chocolate and he's like, oh, I want another one. And, and like just short of smashes the mug on the ground. Oh, I thought I totally thought he's going to because he's making the hand motion. Then he just sets it down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It, so, talking about like people who don't make any sense. Vanessa Hudgens plays a school teacher who I would assume is relatively intelligent <laughs> And she hits this guy with her car and is like, well, he might as well come stay in my guest house. <laughs> and it's like, no, he's crazy. Why would you let him in your house, like anywhere on your property? A guest house, by the way, that is nicer than any house I've ever lived in. Oh, it's nicer than my own house. <laughs> she is a teacher in Ohio. She is not paid that well. Not only does she have a beautiful single family house, she also has a single family guest house that's decked out with a full-on stone fireplace and leather couches and this is the guest house absolutely one of the nicest houses i've ever seen and it's i guess just sits empty until magic knights need a place to crash oh my gosh and then she gives him her car oh my gosh (laughs) He's like, I've tamed many beasts. She's like, okay, here you go. And then he clearly doesn't know how to drive it and just rears it in. If there had been a child walking behind him, that child is <laughs> yep. dead. He just full-on drives it up on the sidewalk, gets out, leaves the door open, just wanders away. Like, And even the police, are like, they pull up and they're like, what is going on with this car? Yeah. And so this this isn't an original idea. We've seen takes on like knights traveling through time, fish out of water type scenario, things like that. And they always, I think, at least try to address some things like, oh, he would be amazed by this. And they do this for like two seconds where he's really interested in TV. But then they have things that are never addressed. Like he should not be able to read the menu at the (laughs) diner because 13th century, like English alphabet, completely different than modern uh, English alphabet. Same with the language. But I guess I would I'd be willing to look over that. 
And then he just kind of like takes it in stride. D- did he ever realize that America existed at this point? And like, in, you know, there's a whole other continent on the other side of where he was from. Yeah, I'd never, uh, I never considered the fact that he probably would not know about that. Like I, I've been playing Assassin's Creed two and they just found like a map of the world at the end of the one game. And they're like, Oh, look, there's, there's more land across the ocean that I guess we haven't discovered yet. And I'm like, well, at least they addressed it. Yeah, this took place in 1390, and they definitely did not, he did not have that knowledge. And he he spends an entire night watching television and learns how to speak, I guess, like a... Bro? Yeah, like a, I guess, yeah, a bro is probably the best way to do it. Modern technology is lit AF, is a thing that the knight says in this movie. With an American yeah. accent. But then he never does it again. At no point is he like, this right. is now a skill I've acquired and it will come in handy at some He just goes back to speaking, you know, ye old English. But he never learns the word for television because the entire way through the movie he keeps calling it the magic box that makes Mary, which I hated. Yeah, it was so dumb. I hate, Even when they like went into the fish out water stuff, I hated the choices they went with them. It was so bad. Also, don't you think a 14th century knight... Maybe he wouldn't be the most sexist person, but I think there would be a lot more benevolent sexism involved in this than there actually oh, was. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, the, the first thing out of his mouth would have been, like, they let women be teachers? Ha ha ha. Ridiculous. Like, yeah, it... I spent a lot of time yesterday and today on uh, Letterboxd.com reading reviews for this, and it was just, like, 15 pages of people tearing it to pieces, and it was the best. But they were all pointing out things like that about, like real fish out of water stuff like this man wasn't vaccinated he's gonna die of measles like he definitely right. wouldn't be able to read giving him a hamburger and french fries would probably kill him like it was all just fantastic <laughs> stuff yeah i like too that this teacher is randomly with no evidence that this guy's actually from <laughs> the third the 14th century is like well i don't know May- maybe he really is you just gotta believe sometimes yeah. what why <laughs> No reason, and the and uh, along the same lines, in, during Act Three, the the cop who has spent the entire movie being like, "Are you sure you want this crazy guy living in your house?" is like, walks up to the knight and goes, "Hey man, you should apply to become a police officer." And I'm like, "What?" Right, right. He's like, "Well, you'd have to pass this psych exam first. Just <laughs> walking it back." Unbelievable. Oh my gosh! One of the things that I thought was ridiculous was they were like we need to show this guy being a hero so her the vanessa hudgens niece disappears with her friend and she somehow got stuck in the middle of a lake (laughs) on cracking ice and then after he saves her she's like we're so sorry it was so snowy we couldn't see where we were going in in the scene it was not snowing that hard and i was just like why is this the reason like you guys are really far from home you gotta go through like a forest and into a park and then through a park to get onto this lake like you don't just accidentally do that it wasn't even a whiteout this was like a play in that they have to keep telling you what's happening instead of showing you because three (laughs) times in this movie vanessa hudgens or one of one of the characters says oh man it's snowing really hard or like it's a blizzard out there and it's and it's almost played like a comedy beat because it's like the camera will show the outside and it's kind of snowing 
Right, it's like flurries. Yeah. It's like in Let It Snow when they're like huge <laughs> blizzard, and like literally there was no snow. Yeah, like it's snowing. It, I mean, the snow's at least falling from the sky, but I mean, I I've living where I live, like I have seen hard snows and blizzards, and man, Ohio's not that far away, and this would not be considered a blizzard by anyone's standards. No, and Ohio is much flatter, so they actually can get whiteouts because, like, this, you know, the wind's there. There's nothing to block it. Like, this, that was not bad snow for Ohio. Oh, man. But, I mean, Sir Sir Cole, who they definitely don't pronounce his name as Circle the entire movie, but they do. Uh, <laughs> he, he gets to use his expert night tracking skills to follow these little girls through the woods and onto the thin ice. And, and then has her crawl like a snail to safety. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, let's let's talk about the Christmas feast <laughs> for the poor of the town because I saw you had notes about that too. So the entire movie, Vanessa Hudgens keeps referencing that they're working for like the Christmas story because they want to help the poor, and they keep showing this one guy who's her niece's friend's dad who's having a hard time because his wife died, and he has four kids, and he's working two jobs. And so they come to this dinner that's supposed to, I thought, be for poor people. But when you look at it, I did not see any poor people there. It seemed like more of a fundraiser for poor people. Yeah, so I guess I, I'm thinking back, and I can't remember if at any point they say this is like a soup kitchen situation or what. I just kind of assumed when they say, like, oh, we're having a Christmas feast for the community, I assumed. But, yeah, maybe it was just like a block party situation where everybody comes and eats the like 25 loaves of bread that the night made. Yeah. But the thing is too, they're like, this is for the community. They only collect money for a one guy in town and give it to him and a lot of presents. And it's like, that's good for that guy. But I don't know if I would say this is like a benefit for the needy. I feel like you should just say this is a benefit for one needy family we vote on. They also say something like, oh, the whole community pitched in to do this for you. And, and like he turns around to thank them. And there's only like six people in that room. Right. I think this posits a community that is mostly wealthy and they're just helping out the one single yeah, dad. Yeah, the only poor person that they allow in Ohio. Right. <laughs> uh how about her having a neighbor who is also crushing on the night but then turns out to be the good guy so listen we as the audience understand that at this juncture in the movie there is no romantic relationship between the night and vanessa hudgens but if you're looking at this situation from the neighbor's point of view a man has just moved into Vanessa Hudgens' house. They are spending a lot of time together. They're decorating their house and their lawn together. And the neighbor is like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go over there and I'm going to hit on him in front of Vanessa Hudgens. Like, openly. Yeah, like, ask him out. He, she, like, asks him out. Like, there is no way that, there is no conceivable way that that neighbor didn't look over there and be like, oh, they're dating. <laughs> right. And then she tries to get him, get her, get him to kiss her at the christmas potluck yep and then he looks over he looks over her shoulder to vanessa hudgens and she's immediately just like oh i see you're in love with somebody else i guess you should go take care of that and i was like oh she's nice question mark even though she was literally still just trying to steal him 20 seconds ago yeah Um, and then my i think the most inexplicable 
most inexplainable thing in the movie, even beyond why Norwich to Ohio <laughs> was at the end, one of the kids had talked about wanting a dog and they're like, we're not getting you a dog. A dog just appears in their house and it is never nope. explained. So I guess this is just like on top of all the other magic, Santa is real question mark. Yeah, it's it's literally they never dive into it. Everybody in the room is just like, did you get a dog? No, I didn't get a dog. Did you get a no? Like. Well, I guess we have a, a normal person would be like, did someone yeah. break into my house? Nope. Vanessa Hudgens and Emmanuel Chiriki are just like, well, I guess we have a dog now. Right. Not not going to lie. Why? I did not know that was Emmanuel Chiriki until probably like 50, 60 percent of the way through the movie. I don't know who who was that uh, yeah. the sister because I've seen her in a gotcha. couple things. She was in Entourage for a couple seasons. And so, like, I'm looking at her like she looks familiar. And then I was like, wait, no. I mean, she originally was like, don't have a strange man stay at your house, and then was quickly just like, I love him. Yeah, I mean, she came over, she's like, I want to meet this crazy guy you got in your house, and then she looked at him and was like, oh, he's hot, this is fine. Right. Uh, Also, man, we watched two Netflix originals now. They went hard on the product placement for Alexa. Yeah, they did. Uh, Everything he did in his house, he kept yelling her name. Yep. Also, there was... In the grocery store, I'm pretty sure there was a risky business moment where he, like, slid across the the grocery store floor, like, in between two aisles. And I was like, is that a Tom Cruise risky business moment? And then it's it's over and, like, they never call attention to it or anything. And I'm like, did they do that on purpose? Like, there's a lot of that in this where, like, I can't tell if some of the goofy stuff was done on purpose or it was just incidental. (laughs) My guess is incidental. <laughs> uh, so did you stay around for the post the, the credit scene? Apparently not. So they tease the credit scene. They show Cole's brother in England and the crone, like he meets the crone and helps her. And so it's like heavily implied that she's going to now send him on a quest to find his oh true love. God. Like they're setting up a sequel for this movie. Yeah, 1300s Norwich, England suddenly becomes very quickly depopulated by knights as they're all sent to the future. Right. <laughs> to, to die of disease. <laughs> you know what else would have actually blown this dude's mind? I was thinking of it. He was like, in my Christmas, we get an orange or something like some fruit. And I was like, this guy would not recognize modern fruit <laughs> because of just... Not even just like genetic engineering, just selective breeding and stuff of the fruit. Like they've changed so dramatically. His mind would have been blown by yeah. that. Oh, this was truly a mess. So, Christian, why did you recommend our audience check this Absolutely one out? Absolutely not. Yeah, like, like I said earlier, my biggest problem with this is that there are literally no stakes in it, and it just makes this movie boring. Yeah. And so it's. It's not like it it is a bad movie, but it's not a bad movie that's somewhat fun to watch or there's funny parts to watch. It's a bad movie that is just boring throughout the entire time because nothing's really happening. Yeah, agreed. Like there was no point in this where I was like excited to see what was going on. Literally, I think it's my fourth note just ends with I hate this movie. (laughs) Right. Like this this movie is not good i do not it has to be aimed at young girls or hallmark channel watchers i don't know do you know what the rotten tomatoes is on this though uh the critics have it at a 97 which is 
No, 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 no. Sorry, sixty. Oh, yeah, sorry. The critics have it at a sixty-seven, which is unforgivable. Like the audience has this at a forty-nine, which is still just so high. I think the 49's high, but I kind of understand it because obviously this isn't our cup of tea. I'm sure some people out there love movies like these, but I agree with you. The critics having this at 67%, they have this higher than some movies we've watched that I know generally aren't critically acclaimed, but they are definitely better than this. So one one thing I will bring up is that, I mean, I, I like I said, I was online in the past 24 hours reading up about this. And there has been some conjecture that this is part of a Netflix Christmas cinematic universe. Have you seen any of that? Oh, Because yes. Vanessa Hudgens is also in, what is it, the, the Princess Switch and uh, Christmas Prince 1 and 2, I think. And like they, they yeah. bring up in this movie the fictional country that one of them takes place in. And then in one of the other movies, they're actually watching one of the other movies. And so it's it's <laughs> this idea that either some of these movies are taking place in the same world, and some of them are taking place in a world where the other movies exist as movies. And so they're all like, they're all twisted up on each other. That's crazy. I can't believe that that's what they're going for with this one. Uh, so I want to give you a, a sense of what the critics have this better than other movies and i guess it's a little skewed because it's a netflix movie so i don't know if the same people are reviewing them but on rotten tomatoes jumanji next level is sitting at a 68 percent, just one percent higher than this uh we talked about last christmas is at a 47 percent, which is definitely better than um the night before christmas oh, yes. And the Joker's at a sixty-nine percent, which I haven't watched, but I, like general general things I've heard online are people like that movie. Yeah, this is that the the critics having this at a sixty-seven percent is truly remarkable. Yeah, I I don't understand it. I I don't feel like we watch the same movie. Like I don't know if if things could be weighted as to like their peers. Like, is this better than other princessy Christmas movies? Maybe. Is it better than Jumanji 2? Absolutely not. Or is it just, is it 1% less? That's bananas. Like, they're not, a, they should not be in the same they're, Yeah, they're part. not in the same league at all. Like, the, I, don't, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, this might be one of those where it's like, if you, the theatrical releases, people, ha, reviewers have to see them all. So you see ones that you don't like your taste. Maybe this one's a little more selective where, Really, the only people searching this out, I think, probably tend to like movies like this. Oh boy, I'm not one of them. Alright guys, before we head out, we're going to talk about what we are playing this week or watching this week. Christian, what will you be checking out this week? Well, I mean, my week uh, just at work alone is going to be populated by pretty much nothing but Star Wars Episode Nine. Uh, I'll be watching it at some point this week, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, Cats also comes out on the 20th. We'll see if I have time. I would like to try and watch Cats. It's going to be a fever dream. (laughs) Uh, Otherwise, that's probably going to be it. I'm going to just be spending my time shopping, getting ready for Christmas. Last, Last pieces here and there. Yeah. I should actually clarify. I guess it'll be two weeks before we're back. So 
But yeah, I'm with you. I will be seeing Star Wars sometime in the next two weeks, obviously. That's biggest movie probably going... Well, I'm curious if it will beat Endgame as the biggest movie released this year. I, I don't think so, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. And I would like to see Jumanji 2. I don't know if I'm going to have time, but the big thing I've been doing is I got Yakuza 0 for PlayStation 4 and I'm loving it, so I'm probably going to be playing that a fair bit. Yeah, I'm. I would imagine I've only got about four trophies left. I'm probably going to 100% Assassin's Creed 2 this week. Uh, it just depends on how dedicated I am to finding all those feathers. <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah, so I, I may be starting uh, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, but yeah, it's really going to depend on my time. I always wanted to get my platinum on Assassin's Creed Brotherhood on the PS3, but there's multiplayer trophies, Ooh. and I don't know if it's shut off <laughs> yet, but last time I looked, like, no one's playing. It might have still been on, but you had to essentially get boosting parties, and it was, like, an actual, like, 20, 30-hour investment, yeah. so I was just like, yeah, I'm not getting yeah, that thanks. one anymore. <laughs> guys thanks for checking out our episode if you want to reach us you can email us at gambots.blog at gmail.com or you can find us at gambots network on twitter otherwise if you're listening somewhere where you can rate or subscribe we'd appreciate it as that helps us with marketing Uh, otherwise thanks for listening guys thank you